Good afternoon. This is Dr. Daniel J. Guara, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 6 January 2024, and it is a special day in the Feast of the Epiphany in the Catholic Church. And this is the day that we remember when the three Magi visited um, the infant Jesus upon his birth. And so um, the word epiphany is Greek, of course, and what it means is to reveal. So this is uh, the third podcast on ethanol neurotoxicity. We're going to try to reveal more information about it. And it's not a laughing matter. It's actually very serious. So last time we were finishing off discussing this paper looking at white matter hyperintensities associated with uh, WMLs, those are lesions in the white matter. And one of the markers they were looking at was microglia. And CD68 is a transmembrane glycoprotein that is associated with microglia. And there's another protein that is even more specific. It's the ionized calcium binding adapter molecule 1. That's IBA1. That's a cytoplasmic protein, and that's what was used in this particular study. So when high levels of IBA1 are detected, it means two things. There are more microglia, and those microglia that are resident and present are activated. Okay? So get ready for some of the data. So this research group um, immunostained and then quantified after that immunostaining the intensity of astrocytes. This would be the glial um, fibrillary acidic protein, GFAP, the microglia using the IBA1. And they also use a couple of other just general markers, CD11B and ICAM1. They also looked at chondroitin sulfate proteoglycan. It's another marker. They counted the number of glial cell types, and they analyzed the morphology of the astrocytes and the microglia uh, by using histological sectioning. And we're aware of the fact that this diffusion system that occurs, right, the MD, changes induced by alcohol drinking that we find in MD persist into abstinence. So this paper looked at rats that were exposed to high level of alcohol. Those are the rats from that model I mentioned to you. Um, they follow one week after abstinence to see whether or not those diffusion, diffusion markers can be detected one week later. Okay. So the only thing they found that was significant is interesting. They found that the IBA1 staining, which is uh, suggestive of activated microglia, which would mean pro-inflammatory, was actually decreased after about a month of removal of alcohol. Okay? So they did a morphological reconstruction of the microglial cells. They showed that there was a significant decrease in the filament volume per um, 
the area of interest. So they call that the ROI, the region of interest within the nucleus accumbens and the hippocampus. And they say that even after long-term abstinence, there was not a reversal to the normal healthy physiology. Okay, So they saw a reduction in the microglia. But what does this mean overall? Well, whenever there is a quantitative mapping of structural and functional connectivities in the human, in the human brain or in the animal model, uh, and we use non-invasive neuroimaging, the best results can be obtained when connectivities emerge. Because that's what matters. Remember, connectivity is associated with the event ontology of the alcohol abuse, alcohol consumption, alcohol neurotoxicity, which we're all calling a correlation. And what they most want to do in the neuroimaging is to find these ROIs, these regions of interest, because that will give you a mapping of the connectivity. That's essential. So when we explore this in the literature and you see that there is a reduction in the microglial cell number and in the reduction in ramification, it means generally in this event ontology of studying now the connectivity, which is associated with the diffusivity, right? When you see that reduction, it's a reduction in the diffusion barrier, simply put. And that's consistent with the decrease in the ECS tortuosity and an increase in the mean diffusivity, DMD. You understand? A decrease in tortuosity and increase in MD. Now, what is a decrease in tortuosity? Remember, that's related to the porosity of the membrane. So it means that the ethanol is essentially causing changes in the membranes that are related to neurotransmission, they cause the membrane to lose their selective permeability according to electrochemical gradients, including neurotransmission. And you know that membranes are semi-selective permeable barriers for external to internal or a particular cell type, such as a neuron or a a glial cell, or an entire matrix within the central nervous system. So what ethanol is doing is corrupting that permeability barrier by altering the porosity, which means the normal signal transduction that occurs with the neurotransmission is corrupted, is inhibited. And this readout then occurs when you see the intoxication of an individual. Intoxication of the individual means they have a problem with motor skills. They stumble, they fall. It's difficult for them, of course, and there, there should be nowhere near operating any kind of machinery, in particular, any kind of automotive machinery, right? That's why we're so against that. So the point I'm making is that these studies that are done in the RAT model and where we've done diffusivity and connectivity using that MRI kind of analysis. And of course, looking at tortuosity as the component mechanism for understanding the porosity of the membrane. 
what is discovered is that even after abstinence, after the ethanol is removed, for up to one month, now this is in the animal model, but it's also been examined in the human studies, you still have a loss in frequency of appropriate transmission. So that means that ethanol leaves an effect long after a person stops drinking the ethanol. So don't think so much about a chronic alcoholic who then, as they say, goes on the wagon. Think about a person who doesn't drink except on the weekends, where there is a tremendous amount of neural damage that is impacted, such as we're discovering with this tortuosity, porosity measurement, meaning neurotransmitter transmission is corrupted. And that even after they sober up on the Sunday and they go back to work and they don't drink again until the following weekend, that corruption lasts throughout the week. Now think about a chronic utilization of ethanol where the weeks start piling up into months and years. You understand that the degradation of the porosity of the membrane is never going to then get back to a healthy state. It will chronically be corrupted. You'll get membrane damage. Now, remember back my lipid lectures, if you can remember that far back, not just about the leukotrienes, but way back to just normal uh, endomembranous lipid biosynthesis. Lipid biosynthesis in the membranes requires cytoplasmic fatty acid synthesis and some early components of glycerolipid synthesis associated with acyl-CoAs. Then the mitochondrial component, and the mitochondrial component then is transferred to the endoplasmic reticulum, and then the component of lipid metabolism continues from the endoplasmic reticulum to the Golgi apparatus, and sometimes all the ways of the plasma membrane. Now, not all lipids follow that particular sequence of events. But in general, all the endomembranous lipids in a cell require all of that complex amphibolic integrated movement of lipid biosynthesis during the normal course of cellular activity because membranes turn over. They turn over because they auto-oxidize because oxygen is available and oxygen can... Um, oxygenate those polyunsaturated fatty acids. And when that occurs, there's a corruption of membrane integrity. And so there's a constant removal of membrane lipid just during the normal process of cellular activity, tissue activity, so that those composite damaged now, oxidized or oxygenated fatty acids that are still perhaps within phosphoglycerolipids and sphingolipids and cerebricides and galactocerebricides and CNS and sulfocerebricides and CNS, you understand? They're removed and then new nation synthesis has to occur. So chronic alcohol use, ethanol intoxication, will not only corrupt the normal regulation of repair of membrane, but it will itself corrupt the membrane integrity. So it will damage membrane integrity, integrity and therefore damage also the repair mechanism. So you understand why it's absolutely uh, necessary to understand 
that ethanol, chronic ethanol use, is a neurotoxin. Okay, so that uh, that that's the take-home message of these uh, of this little mini group of lectures on ethanol intoxication. So she get this reduction, microglial cell number and ramifications. That means that that's a reduction diffusion barrier and that is consistent with the decrease in the extracellular space tortuosity and an increase in mean diffusivity. Okay, I put it all together. So reducing microglial content or the complexity in either white matter or gray matter will enhance the mean diffusivity. And in humans, the relevance of the gray matter mean diffusivity is essential to understand the microstructural properties that become chronically and then after a point permanently affected in alcohol use disorder. And the, the data that has been coming up is impl implicated for abstinence of alcohol use, not just in the chronic alcohol user, but perhaps the abstinence of alcohol use full stop in people. Because when you use these DTI measurements and it starts being applied to the gray matter, in addition to the white matter, which is the most common source, remember the anisotropic is easier to measure than the isotropic movement. You understand that. Gray matter, isotropic, white matter, anisotropic in terms of the DTI measurement. And then we start adding in the imaging biomarkers and some of these polypeptides associated with the cells associated with the neurotoxicity. It becomes clear that in alcoholics, this is linked to memory loss. And it's not so much that the memory loss is completely degraded, but that the performance of recalling is corrupted because the membrane and therefore the ECS tortuosity system, porosity system, has now become corrupted uh, long term. And so why is memory a readout? Because that's the kind of thing that people measure when you're, when you're in a clinical a study to look at short-term, long-term memory. Short-term, long-term memory, such as someone that has an education and has an understanding of some complex data or knowledge base, that they lose that knowledge base as they age from normal lack of recovery of CNS membrane biogenesis and turnover. But you add to that any kind of chronic use of neurotoxins such as ethanol, you will get an advancement of the loss of that neural activity and the recall um, submission to that uh, insult will be more um, frequent and will be more easily detected. All right. So remember, we are interested in the diff apparent diffusion coefficient. Now, what that means, that's the ADC, is the diffusivity in one vector, one direction. Because that's examined now with the connectivity measurements for the frontal 
and temporal lobe in the alcoholic patients. And that's how there is a direct link now being established for the decrease in memory performance. Okay. So I think that's about where I wanted to get to for that whole analysis. So now that directly dealt with some of the clinical features and of course with some of the animal studies. Now you may be surprised that I spent some time on the astrocytes and the fact that astrocytes can be sometimes pro-inflammatory and that in the animal study, the one animal study we looked at, and also several I've examined for this discussion, this lecture, you primarily see a decrease in microglial activity. And that might suggest a paradox because microglia, of course, can be pro-inflammatory. Like microglial inflammatory responses are often associated with neurodegeneration, as with Alzheimer's disease, Lewy body disease, Parkinson's disease, prefrontal dementia, and all of that is well established. However, remember, all those diseases I just mentioned to you are also proteinopathies. With alcohol abuse, chronic al alcohol ethanol utilization in the human, leading to this kind of neurotoxicity. We don't see the same event ontologies because this is a direct degradation of membrane porosity. It's not directly linked to a proteinopathy, which is more associated with the aging brain and <laughs> with high levels of glucose utilization and a diminution of lipids utilization, except as the removal of sphingomyelin from astrocytes, fatty acid utilization for beta oxidation in a neuron, when support of glucose uptake becomes hindered because of the responses associated with the insulin growth factor. That's all linked to the aging process, linked to neurodegenerative diseases. It's only one component, but that then ties into tauopathies and the amyloid precursor protein and the association with making the octomers of, of the uh, amyloid precursor and that linked to plaque formation and that canonical feature of Alzheimer's disease, for example. Okay. So with ethanol intoxication, not looking at fibrillary tangles, not looking at plaque formation. You're not looking at tauopathies and APP metabolism. You're looking at membrane degradation. That's a much more subtle biochemical detection complex, meaning until we use DTI and we apply the virtue of the mechanisms, like tor the torsional associations and diffusivity associations, do you get a handle on looking at membrane degradation? That's why this is a relatively new um, set of methodologies that are now tracking both gray matter and white matter in the alcoholic. Okay. And that's where you're finding problems. Now, so that, that kind of ends that part of my uh, lectures. I'm not going to continue on this much longer, but I will talk to you simply about the biochemistry, the biochemical pathways, right? And let me just check my time. I know I got cut off last time, and it's absolutely my fault. 
you know that I'm a, a instantialist, which means not just an existentialist, where I accept that I'm the fault of everything I do. I take full responsibility. But when I add in the instantiation perspective and instant, that's what I'm saying, I'm freely willing to do it. It's not just like I'm existing in nature and I just happen to fall upon these errors. I freely admit that those errors are all mine, right? So I just want to make that clear. When I go over the mark, it's my fault. It's not because I know I'm limited, because I know I'm limited. I have 10 minutes left, so I just want to make that clear to anybody that thinks that um, blaming something like a system is ever a good idea. I don't think it is, at least. Chronic ethanol ingestion. Think about ethanol metabolism. So ethanol is metabolized by alcohol dehydrogenase. Okay? Acid aldehyde is the first product. Acid aldehyde is then um, metabolized by acid aldehyde dehydrogenase. But acid aldehyde adduct formation can also occur directly to DNA, RNA, protein, and complex lipid. And when adduct formation occurs, that will directly affect the inflammatory response. This is a metabolic sequence that we're talking about. So acid aldehyde ultimately will get converted to acetate. And that occurs. So ethanol to acid aldehyde via ADH, where NADH is produced. So ethanol converted to acid aldehyde, of course, that's going to be um, an oxidation of the uh, alcohol to the aldehyde, right? And because you oxidize the ethanol to acid aldehyde, you reduce the NAD to NADH, okay? So now you're building up NADH. Now think about what that will do to the tricarboxylic acid cycle, right? Now this is cytosolic, alcohol dehydrogenase, but the acid aldehyde is metabolized. The acid aldehyde is metabolized in the mitochondrion. And when it otherwise is making an adduct, a DNA, RNA, protein, or lipid, when the acid aldehyde goes through aldehyde dehydrogenase, acetates form the mitochondria, and that acetate then, a sterified coenzyme A, can ultimately lead to lipogenesis directly because acetyl-CoA introduction is the mitochondria when there's a high level of NADH produced in the cytosol, which of course gets transferred not directly because you can't move NADH directly across the mitochondrial membranes, both of them, but you can remove the, re the reducing power from the cytoplasm into the mitochondrion using the malleus aspartate shuttle and the glycerol phosphate shuttle. So you're able to move the reducing power of NADH into the mitochondria. So NADH is resynthesized in the mitochondria. Not only that, which is an intoxicating effect of ethanol metabolically, but the acid aldehyde dehydrogenase generates NADH right in the mitochondria. What does that do with high levels of NADH in the mitochondria? It shuts down the majority of the dehydrogenases in the citric acid cycle. Right? So when you block out the citrate dehydrogenase, you build up citrate, and that citrate leaves the mitochondrion and via the ATP citrate lyse generates acetyl-CoA in the cytoplasm. Now you're setting up for lipogenesis. 
This is how ethanol, chronic ethanol use in people generates obesity because you get lipogenesis. So the increased NADH to NAD ratio is another toxic effect on the entire system. Now, this is working in the liver, also to some degree in the kidneys, right? And then all that, remember, TCA shuts down, citrate converted to acetyl-CoA, and, of course, oxalacetic acid in the cytoplasm. And the oxalacetic acid can actually be used for gluconeogenesis. There can actually be errant glucose synthesis, which can then lead to other intoxicating effects of the obesogenic state, because that could lead to type 2 diabetes, yeah. hyperglucosemia, right? That's correct. Now, there is a, another enzyme, acetylchrome P450 enzyme 1, which will take NADPH and oxygen and make NADP and water. So that's another component of this series of reactions. That will also increase during the processing of reducing oxygen to water. It will increase reactive oxygen species. Remember, you have to take molecular oxygen and, and reduce it one electron at a time all the way to H2O. So in that processing of the NADPH to NADP and H2O, there is going to be a buildup of reactive oxygen, which some of which are free radicals. So think about superoxide, think about the hydroxyl anion, that's also occurring. Okay. All right. So alcohol metabolism. Alcohol dehydrogenates to acetaldehyde. Acetaldehyde linking with proteins or nucleic acids or lipids will make adducts. We already mentioned this. I just want to make sure you understand. Alcohol metabolism also leads to when cytochrome P450 2E1 enzymes are in place, that's going to be oxidizing NADPH, oxygen radicals. These oxygen radicals will then cause oxidative stress. If oxygen radicals then are in association with lipids, you get lipid peroxidation or lipid peroxy radicals. This can also make adducts to proteins, and acid aldehyde will further make those adducts during the second stage of the uh, acid aldehyde dehydrogenase activity. Okay, so you have this whole host of, uh, of lipid peroxy um, metabolites, as well as hydroxyethyl radicals generated. So you have hydroxyethyl radicals also making protein, DNA, RNA, lipid adducts, okay? So this is all part and parcel of ethanol ingestion. What happens to the system is that besides all the central nervous system occurrences, I just told you, diffusivity and tortuosity, within the normal metabolic organ systems, particularly the liver and the gut, there's an increase in reactive oxygen. There's an increase in protein, nucleic acid, and lipid adducts with the products of ethanol degradation, such as with acid aldehyde 
and with hydroxyethyl and peroxylipid, which are both also potentially, at least in a couple of forms, radicals. So that means on pair electrons, that means binding to directly centers that uh, are, are then going to be scavenged for an electron, right? That means proteins, nucleic acids, and lipids, of course. So you're making all these adducts. This is all occurring in the hepatocyte, in the sinusoidal areas. So you understand the liver becomes intoxicated in a very intense way because of all of this reactive oxygen metabolism occurring just from drinking alcohol. Okay? So there is acid aldehyde toxicity. There's high NADH to NAD toxicity, which is going to cause the accumulation of lipids and also, by the way, lactate. So lactate acidosis. There's also going to be metabolism issues with lipid extraction and assimilation in the small intestine. What kind of lipids? Dietary nutritional lipids, such as tocopherols and retinols like vitamin A. And also there will be a, a corruption of lipoprotein metabolism because there'll be a corruption of protein synthesis leading to a corruption of apolipoprotein synthesis in the small intestine. So chylomicron assembly can be corrupted. So lipid absorption is corrupted. Chylomicron assembly is corrupted. This can then lead to a higher level of lipotoxicity going back to the liver and increasing the amount of fatty liver deposition in the form of triacylglycerol. At the same 